Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about this week is 65 Stirrup Iron Road by about nine different authors. And published by Deadite Press. Those nine authors are not going to get the, uh, the benefit of us reading bios because there's nine of them and that's just insane. Uh, but here is the list of authors who contributed to this book. Brian Keane, Jack Ketchum, Edward Lee, J.F. Gonzalez, Brian Smith, Rath Jones-White, Nate Southard, Ryan Harding, and Shane McKenzie. That's a lot I of people. That guy's name might be Rath James-White instead of Jones-White. Did I say Jones? You did. Well, now it's Rath Jones-White. <laughs> That's what we're calling him. <laughs> Sorry, Rath. hate to break it to you like this. You've been doing it wrong all these years. <laughs> so that is a considerable list of writers, and and let me stress that they collaborate on one story. This is not nine um, individual stories. This isn't a compilation or an anthology. This is nine guys uh, worked on one story. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, you would think that the easy way out would just be to do a, like a compilation of stories, but they. They really rocked it with like a collaborative effort on one story. It's pretty crazy. Dude, and to be really honest, I don't know that we would have picked this book to read if it was just an anthology. That's yeah, true. Yeah. This is the thing that made it really interesting. Anyway, yeah. here's a little bit about the book. What starts like a haunted house novel is written by the Marquis de Sade, develops into a meta deconstruction of hardcore horror and why we love sex and violence. There is something seriously wrong with the house at 65 Stirrup Iron Road. Its history is awash with sadistic violence and fiendish sex. For generations, the house has corrupted its inhabitants. Now, Arianne and Chuck have moved in, and the house is ready to hunt once more. But this time, the house's occupants won't be the only targets. No one is safe. Not the reader, not the authors, and not the horror genre itself. Nine of the biggest names in horror fiction collaborate on a gore and sex-soaked novel with all proceeds benefiting modern master of crime and terror Tom Piccarilli. I don't know what to go with first, the content of the book or the fact that it benefits Tom Piccarilli, who we've mentioned several times on the podcast before. Um, yeah, it's it's very cool, and Tom Piccarilli isn't necessarily a name I would associate with. Here's the thing with Piccarilli, my understanding. So he kind of you know does horror and he kind of does crime, and we've seen, I think, a lot more of um, the crime side, just kind of by default with some of the people we hang out with. Right, because um, I wouldn't expect a Jack Ketchum and Edward Lee, who you know I've been fans of for for years. Both those guys, you know, I, I just don't put them with Tom Piccarelli in that grouping, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice that he's got multiple communities that'll like uh, kind of get together to try and help him out in in a, in a rough spot. Yeah, so we should probably mention um, that I believe it was earlier this year he was diagnosed with brain cancer, um, which apparently is not inexpensive. Um, so there have been several um, different drives, uh, fundraising drives, and, and this one is, uh, I have to say from the ones I've seen, this one certainly seems to be the most fun. <laughs> Definitely, because it's really just like a, a reason for a bunch of people who already, you know, they're they're in the same kind of genre, obviously, and they know each other because they're in the same profession to get together and do something fun that actually, yeah, does benefit, you know, Uh, someone that's not just kind of a wasted effort or just like a goof off it actually does produce something good for somebody Mm -hmm. all right i'd like to say do you have trouble saying 65 stir up iron road like the words don't go together just me 
It, it was a weird title. <laughs> okay. It was like, God damn it. I hope it's not just me. So I tell people like the title and I trip up over it all the time. I'm okay now because I'm looking at it on my screen. But uh, yeah, I, it's just a little hard to, for me to process, I guess. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but once you read the book, you'll understand what it means at least. All right. I guess the first thing we should talk about is how they collaborated on this. Um, so it kind of seems like an author, you know, wrote an introduction and it's kind of like, uh, and, and I might be off here, but this is to give you a general idea, like that author and the next person collaborated on the first chapter, then that second author maybe wrote a chapter, you know what I mean? And then he collaborated with a third author on another chapter. That seemed to be the way it went for a little bit. So um, it's not all individual chapters. A lot of them are credited as co-written. And at the beginning of each chapter, it's listed who wrote that particular or who collaborated on that chapter together. Yeah, it's almost like a, an exquisite corpse kind of uh, set up but with a little bit of a, an overlap. Yeah, and the overlap's good. I mean, it'd be hard for nine people to sit down and, you know, God, can you even imagine getting nine people on, like, one Skype call? <laughs> I don't <even> think <laughs> like, about figure that. out, like, <laughs> what do you want to do with this next sentence? Uh, where should yeah, we go from here? It'd just be yeah. a nightmare. So, I mean, I like the way they did it. Uh, I'll be honest, I was kind of caught up in the reading of it myself, so I wasn't always paying attention to who wrote the chapters. I know I kind of glanced at them, but it didn't... It, it wasn't important enough for me to like kind of memorize who was in this particular chapter. Yeah. And, and while it was somewhat noticeable, this different styles from chapter to chapter, I think it blended well enough together. That was, I, I, that was one of the things that I was thinking about was I expected it to be more noticeably different from author to author. And it was actually pretty well blended together. Yeah. I have to agree. I didn't, I didn't find that it took away from the story at, at all, at all. I mean, there are some times when authors names are mentioned in the stories and, uh, which was kind of interesting, but um, in a couple of times it was almost like a little bit of a taking a shot at the other guy. It seemed yeah. like, which of <laughs> course is is tons of fun. So I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there is actually a story in this book that we ha- we yeah. can only avoid talking about for so long. <laughs> this is a, this, you make a very very good point. Um, <laughs> I guess we should probably begin at the beginning. All right, so the book starts uh, starts with a flashback going back um, several years, and, and it's uh, kind of the story of this girl named Nikki, who we're introduced to as the first inhabitant of uh, the first inhabitant we're introduced to of sixty five Stirrup Iron Road, and she, uh, you know, kind of like your late teenage girl, works at the mall, but uh, she has found that she has. Uh, should we do the warning now? The, the yeah, let's kids just get out the yeah. warning out of the way. Yeah. So here's the deal. This is a very foul and disgusting book. The content is uh, is is <laughs> designed for mature and possibly disturbed audiences. Uh, viewer listener discretion is advised. I try to sound as much like that TV thing I can. Basically, if you're driving in the car <laughs> with your kids, turn this off. Listen to it later. If you're listening to this at work and other people can hear it, you may want to turn it off. I know that we don't typically talk about our uncensored format, but yeah, this time I think it's a must that we uh, that we suggest some of the content will be a little strong um, and, and not suitable for. Um, younger listeners, older listeners, um, <laughs> listeners. It's with, not suitable with, for most listeners with listeners. taste. Yeah, just just <laughs> it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough one. So, <laughs> so Nikki finds out that she has a talent um, at performing oral sex for which she is paid by basically everybody that works in that shopping mall. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess the the basic idea is that she was somewhat, you know. She was definitely in the blue-collar world who kind of found she had a talent to get a little extra money here or there. And as time went on, she just 
use that talent more and more frequently, which, you know, probably had a negative impact on her life because she lost her job and ended up needing to move in with her brother, Sam, who uh, was living in this house, 65 Stirrup Iron Road. And at the very beginning, like, we're really introduced to these characters in a situation where, um, you know, it's a it's a brief introduction to her history that brought her to the house, and then bam, it's just like a punch right in the face with this this incident that happens that that starts the real um, interaction with the hauntedness of the house. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So um, when we say haunted, it's not a traditional haunting. It's not so much that you hear sounds and see things out of the corner of your eyes, or you know, floaty, transparent people going through. It's more of a kind of like a possession. And Nikki and subsequent other characters as book are possessed um, by by uh, an overwhelming um, urge to, to to have sex, and uh, not necessarily just your regular straight old fashioned vanilla sex. Uh, it, it becomes I don't even know if it gets more degrading. I guess it's as degrading as it can be right at the beginning, and, and kind of moves moves forward. So we we get a little bit of Nikki's story and what happens there, and then we kind of fast forward to today where our uh, title characters are the, the ones from the synopsis. Ariane and Chuck have moved into the house, um, got away from the city, moved out to a nice quiet place, and they're kind of getting their lives back together after a, a traumatic loss of a pet. Yeah, so it's like the tamest, most mundane you know, situation from, a, from a, the, the couple's point of view possible. Is like, I mean, their big trauma is just they lost a pet, and they're moving to this place safe and calm and quiet and everything. Um, little do they know um, that this house has such a sordid history and that um, it's going to uh, change them in big, big ways. So the house typically has the effect that Livia said on women where they just become they become possessed by this um, this woman who wants to have... She's like a nymphomaniac, essentially, who has um, explored the vast depths of sexual depravity and... Um, when possessing women <laughs> possesses them to also kind of ex, uh, explore those as depraved sex acts as she could possibly think of, um, which is really gross quite often. <laughs> but the effect that the house has on men is that men are typically like <laughs> they're men. That's <laughs> they just go with it, right? Men just well, yeah. <laughs> But also, there's, there's no effect on men whatsoever. <laughs> we're just we're just ourselves. Right. There's no possession, but the men are typically very they're they're victimized. Like they're they're um in the they die in very graphic and horrible ways. I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, that's that's uh I, yes, and you notice that we're pausing and, and trying to say things as eloquently as we can. <laughs> it's not a whole lot that's eloquent that's going on in this book. Um, Ariane's <laughs> first um kind of inkling that something is wrong or the reader's first inkling, I guess I should say that something's wrong is Ariane um, notices that uh, Chuck uh, left his computer on something he doesn't normally do. She goes to shut it down, takes off the screensaver. And there is very, very graphic, um, very disgusting pornography. So not graphic in the sense that, you know, I guess all porn is kind of graphic, but this is um, very disturbing. Probably a, 
probably one of the lower echelons of, of porn watching. Like you have your, you know, like your regular straight porn, then you have kind of your kinky porn, then there's probably like bestiality, <laughs> and then there's like a layer below that. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. <laughs> And that's pretty much, so that starts, you know, a confrontation between her and Chuck. Chuck swears it wasn't him. Um, Maybe his computer had been hacked. You know, so this ghost not only possesses, uh, or this spirit monster thing, whatever you want to call it, not only possesses women, um, but has an effect on electronics um, as well. Because this is prevalent throughout the book that anytime there's something that the porn can be viewed on, be it a a phone or a computer, laptop, whatever, um, yeah, it's there. And, and it is some of the more graphic and, and stomach-turning moments of the book are, are these things that that somehow, in some ways, and I don't know if you'll agree with me at this, I know I'm reading a story, but the second it was put onto a computer monitor, it wasn't nearly as disturbing as the stuff that happened to the characters. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Does it? No? Nothing? <laughs> Even um, though both were made up. <laughs> that's, I, I mean... I'm going to have to sadly agree with you. And I think the reason is um, that that's what the Internet's for, is like finding the most messed up things that exist. So it's kind of what you go to the Internet for. Dude, I'm pretty sure that's not what the Internet is for, (laughs) at least not the way you put it. So, I mean, there's stuff the Internet is like Facebook stuff. Well, I mean, that's surface level stuff. Gotcha. All right. So apparently, Rob goes to the internet for for bum on bum porn. That's definitely not the case. Okay, I'm just, just checking. So. <laughs> Wait, are you talking like at the end of Requiem for a Dream, like like a bum touching another bum? Oh, you know, I was thinking that our our, our, our British listeners were probably like, did they just rub their asses together? <laughs> <laughs> homeless person on homeless person bum on bum sounds so much better than it that. really does bum on bum yeah. sounds so you know what that could be you know what i think in one of the scenes and this is going to be a throwback to an earlier episode they should have had on the screen if they were listeners of our podcast the scene in the car wash that i described yes yes you know what <laughs> you two. are absolutely right there's only two people out there that remember that conversation though yeah you idea. and i oh no there's probably two listeners yeah okay Remember, we have our stalker listener that notices and remembers everything we say. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's another one, too. But, um, so yeah, the story kind of goes from there and it gets worse and worse. Ariane is um, you know, further possessed, uh, or is, becomes possessed to do things. So it starts with her um, you know, basically just being really horny. And then her and Chuck kind of getting back into a sex life that they had lost previously due to work pressures and this this loss of a pet that they had and all these other things so they think that things are getting better but it just progresses further and further into depravity yeah and then the story is essentially a balance of really graphic sex um really disgusting acts during the graphic sex and some really graphic violence <laughs> That's pretty. Yeah, much. It's a good balance between the two. <laughs> when it's not horribly nasty sex, it's horribly nasty violence, and just like the most messed up. And I have to imagine this is what I was thinking throughout the book, knowing that it was written by nine different authors. And I wonder how I would have felt about it otherwise. But like, there had to be an element of I'm going to write the most ridiculous, messed up thing I could possibly conceive of to see if someone can somehow top that. Like when I hand it over. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and normally, this is a book that doesn't take itself very seriously. 
because normally that would just lead to something bad. You know, it'd just be a progression of trying to outdo one another. But I think with these guys, that, that added to the element of, and, and I'm going to say this, fun for this book. Yeah. Yeah, like you the, know, you're not doing it well enough. This is what you can do kind of thing. Not, yeah. Not in a negative way, but just in like a, you can do better, like that kind of thing. Right, yeah. You can do better at doing worse, I guess, is kind of the the, the way that I would I would think of that. that. Can you can you think of the the height of the gross outing grossing out that you got like the the moment that was like the worst for you? No, I mean there are definitely some standout moments. I don't know if I could pick the one that was the most like kind of stomach turning though. For me, it was the <laughs> baby chipmunks. Yes, <laughs> yes. There's there's that. Yeah. And see, it's the whole thing. Apparently, animal animal stuff is what gets us because the the llama scene came to mind right away, and I don't know that it was, you know, the most stomach turning one. But that's the first thing I actually thought of when you said that. And I, I don't know how much of this we should say. Like, if we should talk about what these scenes are, I have some quotes where I have some stuff quoted that maybe I'll talk. I, I don't know. I'm just here's I'm going to say it right now. I'm glad my mother no longer listens to the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if it was your weird bum sex story that got her to stop listening, but at some point she doesn't listen anymore, and I'm thankful today. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Like, I, I were like, I'm, I'm thinking about the impact that our episodes have on listeners, and and how some people do choose to read books based on what we say about the book. Mm-hmm. And I think that to some degree, to be like really faithful to the listeners, we do have to described some of the things that happened but at the same time i kind of don't want to because it's like it's really nasty um yeah let's let's see if we can move into the back of the story a little bit <laughs> so arianne's got an idea or gets an idea that something is off and that's really the vehicle for the rest of the story we're introduced to some other characters she comes along uh, across along the way a couple of men who are interested in her sexually um, yeah, there's a couple of women. Um, yeah, I don't want to go in too much into depth and spoil any of the story. We're introduced to other kind of peripheral characters um, as she starts to connect the dots that not only something's wrong, but to very specifically find out what the cause is, as any good haunted house story would have, you know, that journey to the truth. Mm-hmm. So that might be all we have to say about the story. Huh? I think, yeah, there's a part I'm going to allude to, and Livius might rein me in on this but like there's a part in the story where it takes a a serious turn while kind of continuing the main story of the book Mm -hmm. but it's like it's like a serious left turn that you don't really you kind of might see coming but you probably shouldn't Mm -hmm. and at first i was like what the hell is going on here but then i kind of got into it and i dug it and um and it's it's the part where they talk about in the, and this is all I'm going to say, where they talk about in the synopsis that um, uh, develops into a meta deconstruction of hardcore horror and why we love sex and violence. It's kind of that's what happens. Um, but the, the way that they did it was really weird. I didn't think it was going to work. But I think it actually ended up working. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. It's probably one of the hardest turns a book's ever taken. <laughs> You know, this, uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, like the twist in Fight Club or, you know, the usual suspects or whatever. We're like, holy crap, you know, what just happened here? But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that, uh, I I think you're right. I think it worked. And, um, 
don't know. It's so weird. I feel weird saying this book was fun, you know, because it's so goddamn deranged. But it was a fun book. I mean, I liked it. And it's definitely, you know, it doesn't take itself very seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, God, I hope none of the authors took it very seriously because I feel like I'll be offensive to them for saying this. You know, (laughs) I mean, they wrote a it's it's a God. It's a romp, you know, and and I think you're right. Some of that has to do with them trying to kind of maybe outdo one another, maybe gross one another out. Uh, you know, I get the feeling that in there were, were put something specifically because another author, like like if I knew something kind of made you sick, right. I'd make sure to add that in the story, you yeah. know, kind of thing. So it's uh, just, yeah, it's really fucking weird, man. It's the most it's the most foul book I've ever read, and I've read some pretty foul stuff. Mm-hmm. This is this is it, man. I mean, this is <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I, I think. The fact, first of all, the fact that we had to do a disclaimer um, tells you one one thing. But really, it's disgusting. Like I, I, I remember when we did our um, the horror extravaganza episode. I think uh-huh. it was like episode forty seven. It was a long time ago. Um, I talked. We were talking about the like really good horror books we'd read, and I mentioned a book called Splatterpunks, which was just like it built itself as being extreme horror. And I would say that this touches kind of into that realm of, like, the stuff that they talk about. Well, it's not, like, oh, always horror um, is so extreme in its, you know, a disturbing nature that it is definitely not going to be easy for a lot of people to read. Yeah, and I think, I believe Dead-Eyed Press, I mean, I think they're they're kind of a, a extreme horror publisher. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense. Um, again, it's almost along those lines of, and and this is my desensitization. I'm desensitized. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I saw the horror stuff in there. It wasn't scary. Maybe that's because, like you said, other than being murdered, the male characters are pretty much safe. I don't know how horrifying some of the stuff would be to a woman because, let's face it, the really bad stuff happens to the women in the story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if this is extreme horror, I, I, yes, I could see where this would be extreme horror, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. Just in that I don't know that any of these guys were looking to make it scary. Right. Does that make sense? Like, that didn't seem to be the goal. It like was there, a lot more of a shock. and, and Yeah, like there might be a comma between extreme and horror. Yes. <laughs> perfectly, perfectly put. Yeah. So... Um, do you want to do quotes? <laughs> um, yeah, quotes should be interesting. This is the point where you really want to turn. Like, I think you and I have done an excellent job uh, of not being like just just like getting kicked off of iTunes yet. This this episode so far. Here's, yeah. where, it all, here's where it all goes to shit. <laughs> um, first thing I'd like to say: the one thing that we didn't mention is that Tom Piccarelli is mentioned by name, at least as a lone shark named Piccarelli early on in the book. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it was a nice little here nod. Is, uh, yeah. Here is, um, this is the description that I really, really liked um, of a woman in, this might be the first porn video that, that um, Ariane sees. It's a description of, of, a, of a woman. One of them, maybe a blonde, after a good shower and a round of antibiotics, sported a busted lip, blood dried to a tacky mess at the corner of her mouth. Another had a black eye. Somebody had abused these women. Mostly that first sentence, but it just felt very incomplete without reading the rest of it. Maybe a blonde, after a good shower and a round of antibiotics. (laughs) Nice. Um, 
My first quote is going to be, there's a character in the book called Zito. He's one of the char- uh, more throwaway characters. And um, his interaction with the, his untimely demise is, um, sorry, I thought I heard it. Anyway, I'm going to get attacked in the middle of this episode. And it's going to be really creepy. <laughs> Dude, the things that could happen to you just while we're talking about this book. I know, right? Uh, so, in Zito's uh, untimely demise, um, it, it involves the the couple had gone out to get um, to some stuff to try and clear out what they thought were like chipmunk nests and nests in their um, heating ducts and stuff. So they <laughs> um, Chuck bought a thing called a boroscopic conduit inspection system, which is essentially like a camera on a tube and you can, you know, run through things and look through the camera. And Zito, when he meets the, the kind of monster that's haunting the house, um, the monster decides to take advantage of this <laughs> um, product to do a kind of a back alley colonoscopy, not colonoscopy. Is that the, yeah, colonoscopy, right? Yeah. Self-exam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on Zito and the quotes <laughs> this is just terrible the, the 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 monster in some way paralyzes Zito so he can't move at all and the quote is and while his body couldn't move it could feel indeed the paralysis seemed to amplify his sensations and to me that like made made it even more terrible <laughs> yeah here's here's a little bit of commentary about some of these videos that uh, that we had mentioned what the hell was happening with the world? People were throwing up on each other online and asking strangers to watch them jack off. If anyone had told her when she was a teenager that such things were possible, she would have refused to grow up. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Looking at my notes, um, every single other one is from after that big left turn in the story. So I don't know if I can do them or not. Yeah, I'm thinking that that's uh, probably, most of them are probably a little off limits. Here's here's one. Just this isn't even a quote, but it's um, uh, they went to it was a website that was called uh, PETA, P E T A, which stands for Pets Entering That Ass. Oh God! <laughs> <clears throat> I forgot about that. Oh, here's 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 foul, non-sexual foul, actually. The weight on his back pushed harder, so hard he thought his spine would snap and his organs would ooze out of his mouth and asshole like purple toothpaste. Gah. Yeah, <laughs> God just damn so it. Gross. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know I read most of this during my meals, right? But that's probably 70% of this book was, was uh, ingested during my yeah. meals. Yeah, I, I don't like know how you did that. Um, yeah. That's terrible. I, I guess I can't. I'm off limits from doing the rest of my quotes. Uh, here, here's one. This just God, I love this. And here's where we lose our last like two female listeners. Um, this is Chuck, uh, kind of in a in a longer rant about you know his worst fear about winding up with a with a crazy woman, you know. Um, All that estrogen fucked up their minds and made them irrational. Trying to speak logically to a woman was like trying to speak Portuguese to a goldfish or a rabbit shark. There was just no reasoning with them, even on their best days. Yeah. (laughs) It's been nice knowing you, female listeners. Yeah. From from the same page. (laughs) This this will allude a little bit to something Rob said earlier. (laughs) 
um, something something, how she kept seeing things on the internet and on her smartphone and with the repeated themes of perverse sex and regurgitation and now she was dreaming about it and she was vomiting and there were gerbils or chipmunks or something inside her pussy and the dog had tried to choose them out of her and blah blah I can't even get through the whole thing <laughs> oh fuck this is goddamn goddamn great <laughs> I just Oh, there's a part I was telling Rob earlier, a part that we're not going to, to discuss because it, it's so heavily into spoiler territory, but I actually laughed out loud while I was reading this, sitting at Panera. I don't think that's ever happened. I'm pretty sure a couple of people looked over at me. Luckily, you mean I had you didn't laugh out loud when you were reading... Hmm? You mean you didn't laugh out loud when you were reading um, uh, Apathy? I, you know what? I don't remember if I did. I, I usually I can call that if I'm in public. You know, yeah. So it, it, it's kind of a different. If I know I'm in public, I usually don't chuckle out loud or whatever. But this was just just kind of caught me so off guard and was so funny because it's so goddamn true. But uh, I'll let the listeners find that 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 part themselves. <laughs> All right. Oh, here's here's here's. I've I've got a couple more. <laughs> this is just now she sucked his cock like a semen held the cure for cancer. It's just fantastic. That reminds um, me. Before you go to another one, um, mm-hmm. it, uh, I was I was just remembering um, one of my favorite lines from Keaton when uh, he was at uh, Indianapolis or North Bar. One of my mm-hmm. favorite lines from his story was, and it's from Nine Cops Killed for a Goldfish Cracker and then Fish Bites Cop uh, book. Is there was a cop that he had shot and that was trying to get away and he was crawling toward a, the manhole cover like it like it held an answer or something like that. I just mm-hmm. love those types of lines. I agree, and this was just like it held the cure for cancer. I actually, okay, did you have to? Was there anything that was mentioned in the book by name that you didn't know existed? I don't even. Is this a trap? (laughs) No, no, no. I found one thing: a Roman shower. I didn't know what a Roman shower was. I mean, they they explained it and then said Roman shower, and I was like, really? That has a name? I didn't know that. Like. Yeah, I think that my knowledge of these showers, as far as sex goes, is pretty much limited to the golden variety. Oh, man, you haven't lived. <laughs> <sighs> that's what God, this, one, this one's so that's bad. What this one's on all his uh, profiles, his like romantic like online profiles, is you haven't lived. Get it? Oh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> um, this one is totally not for, probably not for, I know Rob's going to leave it in here, but... <laughs> Llama sperm gushed from the big tittied whore's well traveled asshole. <laughs> this is just. Uh, oh, you should probably edit that out. I know you're not going to, but. Well traveled is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's some. T- well, I don't know. I mean, you could pick any part of that. It wasn't even a full sentence, it was just some words from a sentence. You could look at that three different ways. Uh, oh, there's, the, there's a part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I can just keep talking about this. Um, again, this one is, uh, I'm not going to say, because Rob will just leave it in. I really don't want this part in the show. Um, I'm almost done, Rob. I swear I'm almost done. I've only got 18 more pages of quotes to go through. Almost done. Well, I'm being muzzled, for the record. Yeah, I know. Um, I will say that they mentioned Richard Lehman in this book which if there was nothing else that I liked about this book, probably would have gotten it a bonus star just because I love Richard Lehman. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else I have is too spoilery too. So I guess we are, we are, done. <laughs> we are done. 
God damn it. There's that part where the guy kind of, I don't even know what to say, like circumcises himself with a glass bottle. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> That's I have that whole like section bookmarked <laughs> or highlighted. Like maybe I was going to be able to read it. I'm not that good of a reader. I can't do it. Uh, that's it that's it man that's it for the quotes i got everything else i had was way too spoilery um so there's a part actually i got one quote that i'm going to do and it's going to be a couple different things kind of spliced together so i'm gonna do my best to talk you know to do it quickly um but there's a scene where there's a a couple of people like kind of secondary tertiary characters one of them witnesses her friend her male friend getting murdered outside the house and then she runs up to the house in fright and ends up meeting Chuck, who lives there, and um, he's trying to help her, calm her down, figure out you know what to help her with because her friend she just witnessed her friend get killed, and um, so there's this whole thing going on. Everybody's freaking out, and then at one point, <laughs> Chuck says, and then so she's starting to get kind of possessed by the spirit and getting un- in an untimely way very horny, and Chuck says, "Fuck this." He opened the drawer next to the sink and pulled out the longest butcher knife he could because there was like a noise going on upstairs and he wanted to go investigate. And she says, fuck me. And he says, it's okay. I just want to check out what's going on. She says, no, I meant I want you to fuck me right here on the table. I want you to eat me. I'll put it on a plate for you if you want. Just lick me. I need to feel your mouth on me. I, I, Chuck stammered. You said your friend's dead. There's something in my attic. I don't know what it is. I know it doesn't make any sense, Lily interrupted. It's fucking crazy, but I can't help it. Ever since I got here, I just feel, I need you to lick me, Chuck. I need you to fuck me. Not want you to. Need you to. And then it goes on for, like, <laughs> there's a couple of uh, chapters where other things happen. And um, it's just kind of, like, <laughs> the absurdity of the moment is just hilarious because uh, they continue to go to investigate what's happening in another place in the house, but, like, her sexual urges don't abate all right, and then it goes to a part later on where they're going up to investigate this noise they keep hearing. Um, and this is the next quote I liked that kind of ties into what I just said. Lily was trying to grab at him from behind. Come on, Chuck, forget about what's going on up there. You need to pay more attention to what's going on down here. She moved his hand down to the crotch of her shorts and pressed it there. <laughs> oh, God, this t- <laughs> that scene, all, all of the interaction between those two was really funny. Right, it was just... But, like, it became, it was, like, it was this nice kind of comic kind of farce moment in this really gruesome, you know, part of the story. So I thought I liked it. Yeah. Nobody got puked on in the making of that chapter. Nobody. <laughs> yeah, we didn't see Pablo de Stair's name on the, the jacket of this book. And oh, man. There's plenty this, of puke. This, the, 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 yeah, the amount of bodily fluids in this makes other, makes Pablo de Stair books run and hide in shame. <sighs> You ready to wrap uh, this up? Yeah, you you wrap it up first. All right. Um, <laughs> this is the most disgusting book I've ever read. Um, I, I don't know what to say. It was stomach turning. I, I like I said, I, I think I lost like four pounds this week eating reading this during my lunches. Found I was eating less. Um, but goddamn it, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Which means there's probably something wrong with me. But I'm okay with that. I only say I'm only able to say I loved it like six. My mother no longer listens to this podcast. Um, this book was uh, entertaining, um, and even in its disgustingness, managed to still be fun. Um, at least I, I thought it was fun. <laughs> I don't know if everybody's going to think that, um, but I I really really enjoyed it, and and I think I enjoyed it more. So I think Rob kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. 
that had this have been written by one person, I don't know that I would have taken it as as much fun as I did. I read a couple of Edward Lee's um, earlier books, um, and I, the name eludes me now, but um, it was the ones that take place in hell, and there was a lot of this kind of thing in it. And I liked the books for what they were. I thought maybe they were a little too strong on the gross side. Um, this just kind of, to me, came off as just a lot of fun, and, and as disgusting as it was, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know how to give this anything other than five stars. Oh, wow. All right. Maybe I should have gone first. <laughs> um, all right. To start this off, this is a book that's published by Deadite Press, which is the extreme horror imprint of Eraserhead Press, which is like the premier bizarro um, book publisher. So that being said, you should understand going into it that you're going for a specific type of a read. This isn't like something that you're going into Barnes and Noble and picking up. It's um, it's like Livia said, the most disgusting thing I've ever read. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know, like it's disturbing and it will be disturbing to most people. Um, I think it's going to take a specific type of person like Livius or I to go past that and understand the more literary value of it. So um, we said our disclaimers and, you know, all that kind of stuff already. So I'm not going to linger on that. That being said, the story itself is actually well-written, um, especially considering the fact that it's nine authors kind of passing it around between each other. Um, there's such a consistent voice throughout that it's surprisingly... I, I, I thought that was one of the best aspects of it was that you really can't tell that it's something that's collaboratively created. It does take a weird turn toward the end that um, at first I was a little thrown off by and took me a while to kind of get used to the idea of it but when it happened it, it actually ended up being kind of a, a, a nice insight into um the minds of these people in a way i hope that's not too much of a spoiler in itself but um it it does have more of a an analysis of the genre feel to it even though it's a continuous part of the actual book itself um which i enjoyed i thought that was pretty cool um there was far more bodily fluids leaving bodies and going into bodies than um, I usually care to read <laughs> in a book. And, um, I mean, that was really... I mean, when you boil it down, the thing that I couldn't handle, that was the toughest for me to handle was just, like, the nastiness in certain parts of it. Otherwise, it was a good story um, written by people who are obviously talented and going back to the initial reason of this book for a very good cause. So all that being said, um, I was probably hovering around two and a half stars originally just because it was so weird and kind of off-putting. But the more we talk about it, the more I think about it as an overall book, I personally am going to land at three and a half stars. I liked it so much that I'm going to figure out a way to send them the money for it. Jeff Burke was nice enough to send us review copies of this, digital review copies, so... I mean, I'll buy one on Kindle if I have to, but if I could bypass that and put all that money into the Piccarelli Fund, I think I'm going to do that. Very um, good. I, uh, dude, uh, it seems that you were way ahead of me on this one and actually pulled up some um, some reviews. Do you want to do you want to cover a couple of these reviews real quick? Yeah, um, I only I only pulled up one good and one bad. Did you have? I think there was only four so far. It's a very brand new book. No, so. I think these I think these are good. <laughs> You want um, to take the, the first one? 
I'll take the one star rating. Okay. This is a one star rating rating written by Sarah Williams on December thirteenth. Um, I was excited to read a book by all these authors. However, the content was so disgusting I couldn't even finish it. If you like people vomiting into each other's mouths, then this is the book for you. Such a letdown. Never actually wondered if I like people vomiting into each other's mouths, and I'm still not really sure I'm sold on the whole concept. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess yes. If you're into that, this would be the book for you. Totally. But if you're not into that, it might still be the book for you. Yeah. Why don't you take the five star, buddy? Five star. <laughs> the title of this one, um, and, and this will only make sense if you read the book. But I, I chuckled when I saw this. There are no magic negroes in an Edward Lee novel, which is great because that's an actual quote from the book. It makes a lot more sense when you read the book. <laughs> um, this was awesome! Triple exclamation point! Nine of the best genre authors writing some fun, sick stuff. I can take anything, and this one had me cringing. I loved every disgusting word. As always, these guys don't just write horror. I consider it literature. I'm not sure that I agree with them on there. That's me saying that. I don't know if I... But, um, great character <laughs> development for what it is. Great pacing. Just get it. You will be so glad you did. I'd love another collaboration. I agree with about three quarters um, here of what um, of what was said here. So, You think Mark Gossett is a pseudonym for Frank Edler? That's a joke. Oh my god, I've... you know what? It totally could be. Yeah. Frank, if it's you, let us know. So. <laughs> yeah. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, I'm surprised those guys I'm surprised those guys over at Books Beer and Bullshit didn't get to this um before us because this is totally uh, in their line of stuff. Yeah, definitely up their uh up their alley or whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> this book it could be up there plenty <laughs> of different things. They're well they're well traveled alley. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, we got other right. stuff to talk about. Plenty of other stuff to still go over. First, can we can we correct something from last week? Sure. Or, or we had a we had a, a, a discussion or a dispute. Not even a dispute. We weren't sure. Um, it's Graves and the book we read, Graves and um, yeah, William Boyle reached out to us on Twitter, I believe, to uh, to let us know that it was Graves and. Um, which is funny because hey. that it never even occurred to me until one of you guys said it that it wasn't Gravesend. That was me. So insightful I am. You are. This is my Yoda so moment on the podcast. Reading words and stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, William Boyle, for setting us straight on that. Um, and then while we're talking about last episode, um, ugh, man, what did we open the door to, dude? Um, yeah, we we kind of invited Adam to, uh, to share stuff if he had something he thought would be cool to... Uh, add to an episode of the podcast and um he evidently had some time on his hands because he took us <laughs> up on it and i don't know if it's us doing it there seems to have been something missing from this podcast i can't quite put my finger on it, but does it seem the last five six episodes there's been something not there <laughs> yeah skip papersley has been absent for quite some time i don't know if it's six or seven episodes well if you throw the readings in there it's at least that many Mm, um, yeah. And see, Skip, here's what happens. You have a coveted spot, buddy. People are looking to take you down. Um, and uh, and and Adam uh, created a new segment, and uh, we're going to be playing for you right now. We get show letters. Sometimes we read them. This is booked mailbag with Jimmy. Hey there, gang. This is Jimmy Pulaski coming to you from the booked mailroom. 
I bet most of you didn't even know there was a booked mailroom. But here it is, in the deep, dark basement of the booked studio. Please, help me. Shut up, Fred. Anyway, Livius and Rob tend to be too busy recording podcasts and releasing anthologies to respond to the stacks of correspondence they receive on a weekly basis. So they've entrusted that particular responsibility to me, Jamie Pulaski. Now, I used to respond just by opening the door and letting all the letters flood out in the boys' town. But turns out, the town wasn't very happy with that, to say nothing of the boys. So I've decided to turn my responses into a segment, the segment you're listening to now. So without further ado, let's get to some author correspondence. This first letter comes to us from a young lady named Erica in the London, England, across the pond, as they say. And I don't mean Lake Michigan. Erica writes, The letter U, guys, wouldn't N-O sexy if it bit the letter U in the next. Your, Y-O-U-R, so gross and old. The only good old guy is a rich old guy, and I bet the letter U, guys, the letter R, really poor. Your show, S-U-X, Fifty Shades of Dick. L-U-V always, Erica. P.S. Sparkly vampires, the letter R, the best because they sparkle. They sure do, sweetie. They sure do. Now, if you thought London was far, this next letter comes from Haruki, all the way over in Oiso, Japan. Haruki writes, and I don't know how to read Japanese, so I'm just going to move on. This one is from Anne in sunny California, and it's a little special because it came attached to a giant man-sized box. I haven't opened the box yet. Let's see what Anne has to say first. Dear Booked, though you dared to mock me, I am not a vengeful temperament. That doesn't make any sense. Dear Booked, though you dared to mock me, I am not of a vengeful temperament. As a token of my forgiving spirit, please accept this gift. And the word gift is emphasized in Italian. What was that? Was that you, Fred? No. And shut up. Seems to be coming from this box. I guess I should open it. I don't know. Uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't. I, what is that? Oh, God. Oh, God. We got your letters. We read some of them. That was booked. Mailbag with Jimmy. All right, that was what may be the inaugural um, edition of what uh, we're calling apparently mailbagged or the book to mailbag. Um, really glad that we do have someone else answering our mail, <laughs> considering the very end of that clip. <laughs> oh, I wonder if you look at the wolf gift part. I, I, because he's he goes from man to California. I'm going, he's going with this, and he's like capital G I F D. I was like, oh. I see where this is going. It's great stuff. Yeah. Hey, how come well, that guy couldn't I, sound that good when he was on the show? Uh, you know, I'm going to blame it on Skype. Yeah, Skype has been giving us some difficulties of late. We may have to look. Oh, okay, so major technology companies. If you want to offer us a different way to do this podcast other than via Skype, uh, we're looking. Much like much like people are gunning for Skip Papers Lee spot. Yeah. People can now start gunning for Skype spots. So if uh, if you're out there, Google Plus, you want to offer some kind of premium guaranteed service that'll work, we're we're willing to talk. Just saying. To be fair, Skype does offer like a paid service that guarantees better quality of calls. I think, but really, I think so. I could be wrong about really? that. Oh, okay. 
But I mean, so if anybody wants to offer us something for free, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are willing to pimp your stuff. So. All right. <clears throat> Donnie booked. Donnie booked. There are probably less than three days left by the time you're hearing this. Can I just say that the outpouring, the number of responses for Donnie booked, absolutely shocked me. Kind of insane, right? I did not expect the turnout that we got. I don't know if we I did not a turnout. Re- yeah, we did not research the fact that we might need some type of premium account. <laughs> yeah, we but actually yeah, got we so to, many to f- votes that we had to like pay uh, mm-hmm. to be able to see all of them. Yeah, I know. So uh, I'm very, very happy at the results. Also, if there are any survey places that have unlimited voting for free that you're looking <laughs> to take the place of Survey Monkey, we're open to talking. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like that's how many we got, uh, and we had to dish out actual cash for you guys to vote. So at this point, um, we can take a lot more votes. But I got to tell you, there's another tier that we're not going to. So <laughs> get your votes in in the next three days. We'll finish out round one. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we're going to do um, two weeks for round two. I think we may have to tidy that down a little bit for, for voting in between the, the five category five categories. It's five, right? Six? Six. Yeah. Yeah. We can probably cut it down to a week. I think that's plenty of time. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely have results on the next episode. I'm a little bit surprised at some of the categories, I'll be honest, without, uh, without saying, you know, too much um, that uh, I'm... Little surprised, I guess. That's I guess that's all I, I can really say. And remember, it's a bookedocracy, so mine and Livius's votes are going to be more heavily weighted than you commoners. Yep. So Rob and I will be very privately casting our votes on Saturday. Um, we're still trying to figure out what that means exactly, <laughs> but let's face it, it's our <laughs> contest. This is listen. We're from Chicago. If you guys know anything about Chicago, um, yeah. there's great hot dogs, and the political system can be a little skewed sometimes. That's right. Hot dogs and skewed political systems. Yes. Yes. So that's coming up on the next episode. We will announce the winners of each category, which then will make the big bracket for the final Donnie booked. And, uh, and it seems like we'll have a winner for you by uh, right at year's end. Very timely of us. That's right. Very excited about this. I want to see the results. We are. I am. I've already seen the results because I'm not <laughs> as excited about seeing them because I look at them like three times a day. Um, oh, yeah. It's just another number for Livius to obsessively watch. Yep. It's what I do. Numbers watcher. <laughs> All right. And then I guess we've been kind of, uh, we talked about this last week. We said it was kind of going to be its own episode, but it just fit in so nicely with the Bizarro book that we read. Yeah. So we, we had Rose O'Keefe on and interviewed her uh, about the quote unquote scandal around the baby Jesus butt plug being uh, required reading in a, in a college course. And um, a lot of the stuff that came up after the um, we kind of like shut down the interview after we kind of finished the interview uh, ended up being really cool and on point for things that I think that that we think our listeners would enjoy listening to. So we cut about 13 to 14 minutes of stuff together. So it's going to be a little bit jumpy. It's not going to be one consistent, smooth conversation. It is a little bit jumpy, but um, it's just stuff that, you know, went so well and went just like a conversation during an interview we go that we thought we'd share it with you. So um, the end of this episode is going to be basically us talking to Rose O'Keefe a little bit more. Bizarro Magazine, right? That's a thing, right? 
magazine of bizarre fiction. There it is. That's what <laughs> I couldn't remember. Really <laughs> <laughs> is that something that you guys do, or is it a different group of people? It is. Yeah, it is something that we do. Because Pela Via had a story in, I think, one of the recent. Um, yes. And she she edited our our anthology, so we're kind of family in a way. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The uh, the, the the what was the anthology called again? The booked anthology. Yeah, the booked anthology. We are not very clever with titles. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not our strong suit. I, I so. saw it on Cameron Pierce's coffee table the other day, and I was, I was trying to remember it. Yeah. That's right. He has that California, Oregon story. Or Oregon, excuse me. You know, those Pacific Northwesters get very, like, offended if you say it wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's bumper stickers about that. Yeah, you know, I just... Is uh, there really? Yeah, they, there's bumper stickers where they spell it... Um, O-R-Y-G-U-N. Nice. Like Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. I was, for the longest time, I'd say Oregon. And then, like, I, I, worked, I knew someone who was from there, and they very, you know, passionately rebuked me on it. So I try. I try my best, but sometimes uh, the old way slips by a couple every now and then. I've heard people say Oregon, too. <laughs> Wow. Which is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I always like to talk about Bizarro. You guys are just like the nicest people, and always we're no stuff. longer afraid of any of you. Yeah, just throw it out there. We oh, thanks. We're not we're not scared anymore. We're boosters. <laughs> we are boosters. And um, since we're on the phone, AWP is going to be in Seattle. Um, is there going to be much? Um, uh, is there any rumblings of any of the Bizarro people being in Seattle for that? We will be. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Eraserhead Press and Lazy Fascist will have tables uh, in the in the hall in the exhibit hall at AWP. We will also be doing, I think, two reading events that we're sponsoring. One of them is going to be at Left Bank Books, which is a super cool independent bookstore in Seattle, right next to Pike's Place Market. And the other one, I'm not sure on yet. But uh, we will have a big contingency of bizarro people, both from Eraserhead Press and Lazy Fascists, out in Seattle for AWP. Awesome. I know Livius won't be there, but I am planning to be there with a bunch of people. So I would be, it would be a fantastic opportunity to meet someone besides Cameron. Uh, who did I meet? I met Cameron and, is it Kirsten, right? Kirk, yeah. Kristen? I get it wrong. Kurt. Yeah, Kirsten. Yeah. Oh, and the nutty guy from the reading. What was his name? Brian Allen Carr, I think. Is that name? him? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's great. That guy is awesome. <laughs> like, just turn this reading on its ear. Just, just unbelievable. And he wasn't even on the bill. That was the great thing. Like, there was like a, a list great of people reader. reading. And that's such a talent to step in like that. Yeah. That's there's always that's the problem though. Like when someone like that shows up to a reading, you got a bunch of people who are writers who just read off a page and then, you know, it's okay. And then this guy gets up and he's like a solid performer and yeah. it makes everybody else look terrible. Yeah. Like the, the, the 40, the 40 that's... people that were there loved him. The five other readers were like, fuck this guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. No, that's something that we, we highly encourage in the bizarro fiction scene is to do sort of performance art readings. And there have been some spectacular ones. In fact, Carlton Millet, the third's performance, the Brutally Evil Satan Show is one that he's repeated several times at different events, horror conventions and stuff like that. And this this thing, it's like a one-man play. And it actually 
when he did it at Horror Find in Maryland back in 2005, it was the thing that attracted the attention of Jeff Burke, who I don't know if you are familiar with, but Jeff Burke is the author of Shatner Quake, and he mm-hmm. is also an editor for our imprint, Dead Eye Press. Yeah, yeah. And Jeff was there at that event. We didn't know who he was at the time. He came to Carlton's reading because he saw a flyer, this hand-drawn, crazy cartoon flyer advertising this thing called the Brutally Evil Satan Show. <laughs> and it, it promoted that there would be flying pentagrams and flamethrowers and satanic stuff. And when he saw this, he grabbed it and was like, okay, what the hell is this? It looked like some ridiculous whatever. So um, he, along with, like, it was an author reading. You know, Carlton Malik III had author reading at horror convention, right? And most people get, like, five, six people to show up at their author reading when they're not, um, you know, Joe Hill or something. Mm -hmm. And Carlton had so many people show up that they had to open the room next door there was a partition that they had to remove <laughs> and make space for like the hundred people that came when they had anticipated pen and uh, he did this thing and afterward people lined up to buy his books and get them to sign them and they weren't just buying one book they were buying three or nine or twelve of his books at a time and Jeff was one of those that bought like twelve of his books that one day he said that after he saw that performance he was like oh my god I have to give this man all my money and uh, then from that time, that was how Jeff was very first introduced to Bizarro Fiction. And he read Carlton's books, and then he went on to read some of the other ones, like Kevin O'Donoghue and Gina Rinaldi. And eventually, he was communicating with us online via our message board for a while. And he had some friends that were going to move out to Portland, so he decided to join them because he knew that Eraserhead Press was in Portland. And when I met the guy, and he told me that his dream was to work for Eraserhead Press, and told me this story about how he met us, I was just totally blown away. So, of course, I gave him a job. (laughs) (laughs) Taking notes right now, taking notes. I've been talking to writers about this for years. I think straight-up readings are the most boring thing ever. In fact, sometimes they've turned me off of one of my favorite authors. And uh, <laughs> and it really, when you see an author in person, it should have the opposite effect, I think. Um, yeah. I, I started thinking the same thing. Like, it's... Um, I, I had a friend at one point that could only really go things if there was, like, a legitimate excuse to go. Actually, we have a friend now. Richard's like that. We go, hey, Richard, we got to go get some wings and, and, and sit down and shoot the shit for a little bit. And he'll be like, yeah, we'll do it during a football game. None of us watch the football game, but I think that's what he has to tell his wife so he yeah. can go. And uh, I think readings are like that for writers and yeah. for fans. Like, there has to be a reason. Like, you can't just say, hey, let's get 25 people together to go hang out at Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, yeah. Got having an event around. Like, oh, now it's an event, so I have to go to this thing. It's okay. not just me hanging out with my writer buddies. So, Plus, hey, I have a have question. The added draw of like the person, you know, if you're friends with them, you want to go and support them, and you don't want to be perceived as somebody who's right. not supporting them, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it has that sort of social yeah, um, thing to be- it. The best parts are the before and after, and once in a while, you get a Brian Allen Carr or for us, David James Keaton. It's like watching an entertainer. It's not watching somebody read, but it's funny and but it's, see, it's lively. And 
And that's what reaches audience. So what you're talking about is a gathering of writers, but I think readings should be more than just a gathering of other writers getting as an excuse to get together. I mean, if you're going to read in public, you should be reaching your audience. You should be reaching real people and attracting (laughs) their attention. (laughs) Real people. But um, (laughs) I know what you mean, like non-reader people outside of the uh, outside of the the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I think that that it's actually a different art form and if writers approach it as such and there have been a lot of successful people who have done that such as oh shit why did his name leave my brain the punk rock singer dude Henry Rollins Henry Rollins who does like spoken (laughs) word and stuff (laughs) (laughs) well I mean G.G. Allen yeah great performance artist there and um (laughs) So, I, but I think that if you approach it as a different art form, then what you can do is you can give people an experience that mirrors the mood, theme, tone, and all of that that they're going to find in your book. But then when they read the book, because reading is a really unique experience in itself, and there's an intimacy to it, and part of the story is created in, in the person's imagination. And some books are meant to be read aloud, and you can really tell certain writers really put a lot of attention into the way their work sounds read aloud. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Neil Gaiman's a great example of that. I think his stuff reads really, really well aloud. Um, other people like Dr. Seuss, you know, reads really well aloud. But um, other times, you're, there's a lot lost contextually and just the experience because. Uh, a book is its its own art medium, right? So the way that the words are laid out on the page, the amount of white space, the uh, font, the texture of the book, like I'm thinking of a book as an art object um, in addition to the story that is contained within it. And I think that that art object conveys a lot to the reader beyond that. That's why I don't really like ebooks all that much, actually, too, because you lose that other texture of the book. Hmm. Okay. That brings up a very interesting point because I was going to ask you this and try to think of a non-offensive way to ask this. And it there's a a friend of mine who also has a podcast, and they they do a lot of like bizarro type stuff and horror stuff. But he had mentioned he's like, man, Eraserhead's just not really big on the ebooks. And I didn't realize um, when he had said that that yeah, as I'm on Amazon, there are very few ebooks. Is there a reason that you guys don't? go that route or don't do it very quickly i should say um the reason honestly is that we're just sort of catching up and that i feel like readers i want them like i said i really appreciate the book as an object as a as an experiential vehicle and I, I would prefer readers to experience these stories in that way. Okay. Um, you know, it takes some of the fun out of it if it's just stripped down to the bare text. And it's not even very pretty on those e-readers, you know. And when you turn the page, the thing flickers and blinks. And, yeah, it's just not... <laughs> <laughs> so, um uh, but with increased demand from our readers, we are working to bring that out because, of course, I'm running a business and I want to exploit all markets possible. But uh, it's just in in the artistic end of it, I'm, I'm not overly motivated. 
Dragged, kicking, and screaming. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, yeah, taking all the time to talk to us, and hopefully we'll have a lot of, of stuff to work on together in the future. And I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you about the whole reading thing because I'm, I'm ideas are sprouting in my head as, as we talk. Oh, man. I have so many good stories to tell you about wacky author readings. Cameron Pierce, he's a, he's a gold mine. <laughs> he's a really cool guy, too. I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He once threw Vienna sausages at the ceiling of the Seattle Center. And he's also <laughs> tortured people by throwing chicken's feet and live squid at them during a reading. Oh, he was really tame in Boston. I was going to say, yeah, we saw like the lame Cameron Pierce reading. Oh, apparently. man. Like where he just like read a story and was like, yeah, I'm done. But I think oh. like we were, we were in this like artsy poster gallery. Like, poster yeah. gallery where like the posters are like $1,800. And everyone's standing around with, like, a wine glass. It was, like, the nerdiest thing I'd ever been to. You know what I mean? Just kind of, <laughs> yeah. like, just yeah. stiff. Yeah, so he was and... really playing to the crowd. But, yeah, got to shake it up. <laughs> well, hopefully Seattle, maybe we'll see some of that. Yes. So. And that's what happens. You know, everybody's all kind of stiff and uptight. We do this interview thing. And the second we go, the interview's over. This is probably the fourth, fifth time that we've gone on to have just really nice conversation with some great great stuff so um in the future episodes we're going to figure out a way to move the ending of the original interview much closer to the beginning so that everybody can kind of ease up and we can get some great content but um it was great having rose o'keefe on i look forward to doing more stuff with her in the future um and probably you know i gotta tell you man you know i was already kind of sold on this bizarro but this last one man this one this one uh, i'm in it now a minute. As a matter of fact, can I tease what I th- what we're working on? Go for it. All right. So we are currently working on bringing you a Bizarro reading, um, probably right after the first of the year. I would think is probably when it would be on. So it's not definite yet. We're kind of working out some kinks in the in the system, but uh, we're excited enough about it that uh, we want to bring you some Bizarro, some actual Bizarro. That'll be totally uncensored. Oh my god, dude! I just thought about what that would sound, what that potentially could sound like. <laughs> So. Yeah, there's going to be some disclaimers all over that. Yeah, but that's not us. It's like, oh, listen, here's some people here's some people saying some stuff. And uh, it's totally on them what they say. It's true. That's yeah, true. We're, we're, we're working on it. So hopefully we'll be able to bring you that in the upcoming weeks. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Next week, I don't think we're recording on Christmas Day. But we are continuing with the holiday. Kind of, It's going to be the week of the holiday. So... Um, if we don't get a holiday-themed book to news, I'm wondering what the future of book news is. I'm not going to say for sure, but I don't know. It's a question that's out there. It's hanging out there. Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to let go of book news. We already we, we lost. We had the we had our first contributor, yeah. the Madman Malaz Corbier, and that and that came to an end, and I was very very sad. But then you know we got Skip Papersley, so I was happy, and now I'm not ready for Skip to go yet. No, he'll always be in our hearts. Malaz will, too. Yes, but I'm just not ready for him not to be on our show. Right. So, so. hopefully we'll have something very merry and jolly from uh, mm-hmm. good old Skip Papersley coming up next week. And if not, he's dead to me. Yeah, we all know how quickly people are dead to Livius. It doesn't say just as quickly as they go out at 65 Stirrup Iron Road, man. <laughs> so. All right, until then. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading.